Today's episode of Speak LA, the podcast is sponsored by Actors Connection. Before we begin, one of the things we most often hear from our listeners is how hard it is to find an agent. So if this is something that you are struggling with, go to ispeakla.com and download our free agent guide now. There's absolutely no shame in not having an agent, but we really want to help you get one. So go to ispeakla.com. That's ispeakla.com and grab your free agent guide now. Hey, Cam. Hey, Jen. How are you? How's it going? Good. How are you? You know, I'm good. I feel I, I'm very excited about our guest today. Me too. I Nicole. feel like Nicole, Nicole Arbusto. Yes, an amazing casting director. Yep. She's cast everything, TV, film, theater. I think that's what I'm most excited to hear about today is the theater. theater. Yeah. How do, how do you get in? How do you get in theater in LA? Right. Um, but before we get to Nicole. Yes. You know, I love to hear how you're doing. Oh, you're so sweet to ask. Oh, you're, <laughs> I, you know, of course, Jen. Of course. <laughs> how, how's it going over there in your, your neck of the woods? Oh, I'm doing good, actually. I'm, you know, what I've been doing a lot lately as we move into summer here is uh, swim in our pool, which has been a really Ooh. nice thing. I know. And I was thinking, I was swimming uh, this morning and I was thinking about um, when I, for the first time I came to L.A., and I remember flying into LAX and looking down from the plane. I feel like everybody has this memory of the first time they fly into LA. Yeah. And you you cannot believe the amount of swimming pools, you know? I mean, I grew up where like one kid in the whole town maybe had a swimming pool. And like everybody was always like angling, you know, to get to, get to that kid's house. Um but you know, here it's like you you know you 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 fly in and you look down and you're just you know you just see practically every backyard and hotel I mean uh, hotel and apartment building it's just we're just we're lousy with swimming pools here in L.A. It is one of the things that makes it fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just gonna envision you swimming in your pool. <laughs> Women the day away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lounging around. That sounds so nice. It is. It's a special part of living here in California. It is. And a nice thing to have during the summer. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Great. How old were you when you came to LA? Uh, 27. And where did you come from? New York City. Ah, what was a day job that you had when you were coming up? Uh, I was a waitress at a restaurant in New York. At what age did you get your first job in the entertainment industry? I mean, really, I guess it was right before I moved to L.A., um, so like 26-ish, something like that. Cool. And what was your first job in the entertainment industry? Um, it was really a fancy internship. I was the literary resident at Playwrights Horizons in New York. Ooh. That's it, very cool. Cool. It's a fancy title. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to sum up LA in one word, what would it be? Um, evolving. Oh, perfect word. I love that. Evolving. <laughs> it is always evolving. 
Nicole, we're so excited. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you. It's my, it's my first ever podcast. No. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You you're such a you have so much wisdom to share. That's that's crazy to me. I feel so honored. <laughs> yeah, we're we're so excited to have you here because of of all of your experience and and I guess we would love to just start with the the first kind of question of how did you get into casting? How did that come about? Well, as I mentioned, I had this very fancy internship at Playwrights Horizons and it was uh in the lit department, but it was during the summer. Um and it was sort of traditionally at that time, a quiet time at the theater. So I was reading a lot of plays and they were doing play readings. And I would often talk to Daniel Swee, who was the casting director uh, there at that time, um, about the play readings and about who was going to be in them. And I would always ask him questions about, oh, why, you know, why is, are you going to have that person? Um, and really it was through talking to him that he sort of said, you know, I think what you're really interested in is casting. Um, so that was sort of how it started um, through that relationship. So were, did you, did you kind of always know, like as a kid, were you, did you think I'm interested in entertainment, but you weren't 100% clear on, on, you know, which part of entertainment? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, of, a lot of people, I was in plays in high school. I was a theater major in college. I did act in college, but I figured out pretty quickly that I did not want to be an actor, but I really didn't know. I didn't really know that much about film and television, I guess, in terms of production. Um, and it was sort of a process of elimination. Like, I, I don't think I want to be a stage manager. I don't think I want to be a set designer. Um, and I didn't really know that much about casting. So it's really, um, it was really Daniel Swee who was sort of, that's how I learned sort of what casting was about. And he sort of explained to me, well, you start out as an assistant and, you know, you sort of work your way up. That's really, really cool. We've spoken to other casting directors. That's interesting that that started in acting, and you know, it really makes sense to me because I think the, the great casting directors, like like you, um, have a real respect and love and connection to actors, um, which I think is you know why why you guys are good at it. Yeah, I think you have to sort of be interested in performance, also, which I realized as I sort of got more interested in casting. And as I was talking to Daniel and sort of exploring things, you know, that that's what I really liked. I really enjoyed being around performance. Um, so it's, you have to sort of, obviously you have to really, to really like actors, but you also have to be sort of interested in the nature of performance um, and what that's about. And then once I learned more about casting, then I sort of started exploring, okay, well, how do I get a job as a casting assistant? And that sort of led me to, um, uh, I went to Smith and Juliet Taylor went to Smith and she's a very proud alum. And I ended up another friend from Smith saying, Oh, well, if you're interested in casting, you should meet Juliet Taylor. I met Juliet. Then I came out to LA to visit a friend and sort of explore it out here and immediately decided I wanted to move here. And then I ended up meeting Wally Nasita, who came up with Juliet and then when a job opened up in Wally's office, 
Wally called Juliet and asked for a recommendation on me and Juliet. <laughs> Wally was sort of hesitant <laughs> because I hadn't, I have not worked in a casting office yet. And Juliet said, just, you know, give, give her a shot. Um, so, uh, so I really owe a lot to both those excellent uh, women, Wally Nasita and Juliet Taylor, and of course to Daniel Sweet. Wow, I, I love that story because um, we hear so much about connections and the importance of not not connections, you know, in the way of like having good connections, but figuring out how you can best utilize um, people that you know. And Dan Shaner, who I know is a mutual friend. Um, he talked a lot about that when we interviewed him also about, you know, you probably have connections that you don't even know you have, you know, even if you weren't born into this business with like a, you know, director, father or mother or something, you probably, like you said, like you went to the same college as somebody and you kind of worked those connections. I, I think that's so smart. I think so too. And, and I, you know, I, I often say to, to young actors coming out of uh, acting programs, you should get a little notebook and write down, keep a record of all the people that you audition for because people tend to stay around and they, they move from place to place. So you could meet somebody on a short film that then ends up casting a sitcom that you want to get on and you're not going to necessarily remember, but if you keep track, um, it's a great way of sort of staying on top of those connections as you build your career. That's a, that is a great idea. There was something that you said um, that I just wanted to, to bring up because I think it, one of the things I'm excited to talk to you about is um, how much you cast theater in LA and all of your work on indie films that have gone to Sundance. Um, Cause I think a lot of actors are really curious about that. I know that was something that I was desperate for when I first moved to LA. Um, but you said something about performance, like understanding the performance aspect when you're casting. And I, I really, when you said that all of a sudden I started thinking it's hard for me, who's not a casting director to remember that you guys are having an eye. You're, you're creating this ensemble and it sounds like it's, it's happening right at that first stage where you're looking at actors and you're, you're piecing them together and um, I was just wondering how that kind of works for you as you as you put a cast together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really true. I, you know, sometimes when people ask me sort of about people outside of the industry and they don't really understand what casting is, you know, I, I always sort of describe it as, you know, you're creating the world of the piece with the people who and have it that world so it's like interior design or set design or you know imagine if you were um designing an office space well what kind of an office is it is it an office where people work on their own is it an office where people work communally does it have a big fancy conference room where people you know show off for clients and then it's the same thing only with the people who work in that office. So I always think of it as, you know, it's the director and writer's world that they've created. And then you're finding the people who are, who are organic to that world, whatever it is. If it's a, a play, a film, a television show, you want to create, um, you want the people to feel like they're organic to that universe. 
And that includes performance style and what they look like and what they sound like and the language they speak, you know, it includes all of those things. I love that you have the perspective, Nicole, of being from New York, but working in Los Angeles. And as we know, there are so many actors that come from New York out to LA, especially during times like pilot season, but just in general, or to give it a try. Is there anything, you know, that, that is different that, that you would say to a New York actor coming out here, like, make sure you know this about when you audition in LA, you know, do this or don't do this or have your headshot look like this. I mean, are there differences you've noticed? I mean, I, <laughs> the main thing I just say to people is if they're from New York is LA is so spread out and you're going to be spending so much time traveling and exploring. And I think that can either be a huge source of frustration or an opportunity to explore the city. Because I think also coming from, you know, if you grew up in Manhattan, like I did, you know, you're used to being in a, in a super small area. Um, and LA is huge. It's much bigger than, um, the LA that most people see. So it's important to get to the beach and get to the mountains and get to the desert and really take advantage of the incredible landscape we have here. But also it's important to be prepared for all, for all that driving and not to let it, you know, make you frustrated know where there's a public library that where you can go in and sit quietly and have free Wi-Fi or, you know, know where there's, you know, a Whole Foods where you can run in and use the bathroom if you need to. Um, I think that's all important if you're, you know, trying to get around town and go to auditions and keep your head in a good place. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, getting into theater in L.A., I, I I found when I first moved here, it felt a lot more challenging than it did in other cities that I had lived in. So if I'm an actor that wants to connect with one of the bigger theater houses that are here, um, what are some steps that I can take to get involved in that community, especially when you're just starting out? You know, maybe you've just gotten your equity card or maybe you're about to get your equity card, but you don't have um, maybe a lot of credits, but you might have a lot of training. You know, I think it's great to, first of all, go to the theater a lot as much as you can. Um, I know it's it's a cost issue for a lot of people, but there are things like Gold Star and Today Ticks and ways to get um, cheap tickets. Um, so going to the theater, I think, is, is really important just so that you're aware of the kind of work that's being produced and learning more about the small theater scene in L.A., which is uh, very vital and important. And I, I hope it continues to be so after this. Um, and then I would really take advantage of those EPAs and be on that equity website and checking backstage all the time. I think people, um, don't appreciate how important going up to an, going to an EPA and committing to that time and doing a great monologue can really be um, helpful in terms of meeting, getting, getting seen. You know, it's a, it's a free way to get seen. I'm really glad that you just um, 
mentioned monologue because that's that's something we get asked a lot from actors is, um, well, actually I have two two part question. I'm glad you mentioned both of them. How important is it to have a monologue and should you have a variety of, of different monologues? Because as we know, you don't usually need monologues in film and TV, but do you need them in theater? And how important is it to have an equity card? Um, I think if you want to, I think it depends on, uh, in terms of the equity card, I think it just depends on the kind of work you want to do. You know, I think you, if you want to work in a smaller theater and do, you know, shorter gigs here in town, then it's not really, it's not as necessary. I think if you want to work in the bigger theaters and you want to work regionally, then it is important. Um, and it's great to get into the, the EMC program and start acquiring those weeks um, and be able to work as an EMC as long as you can, because that's useful to a lot of uh, regional theaters. Um, and in terms of monologues, I think if you're going to work in film and TV, it's totally not important. But I think if you want to work in theater, it's a good it's a good thing to have in your back pocket. Um, and it's a great skill. Will you talk a little about types of monologues? Like, what you know, should it be a minute? Should it be comedic? Should you have a comedic and a dramatic? You know, kind of things like that. I mean, I think if you if you are able to have both a comedic and a dramatic, that's a great thing to do. Um, I think for EPAs, usually the limit is two to is two to three minutes. I think two minutes is probably more popular. Um, and I think it's just a great you know, muscle to work on is being able to identify material that you can connect to and that's a good fit. I mean, look, if you stink at comedy and you just don't think that's something that you're good at, um, then I would not go, you know, 100% in that direction. Maybe you could find something that has some comedic elements to it, but is not like a straight comedy. Um, I think there's always a, a workaround, you know, I think it's more important to find something that you connect with and that you feel like you really feel great about performing um, than trying to kind of squeeze yourself into something that doesn't really fit. You know, it's, ni- it's nice to hear that the EPA is a good way um, to go out and audition because I think I think a lot of actors feel like, are they actually being seen or noticed? So what what... What what is a standout like when you when an when an actor comes in to audition for you? What is something uh, like a quality that they might have that really stands out to you when they walk in the door? I mean, I think it's just really a confidence and a pleasure in the process. Um, you know, I understand that. You know, <laughs> I understand that people are auditioning in order to get a job, but I think. It's great when you can acquire a level of confidence in yourself or I don't know if it's like confidence, curiosity, um, uh, a desire to really exercise your skills. But if you can walk into the room being happy to be there and grateful for the opportunity and sort of disconnect yourself from an end result, I just always think you're going to do better. Um, we've actually heard that a lot, <laughs> the <laughs> confidence that that's the quality. And I just want to kind of reiterate what you said, cause I think it's so brilliant because I think a lot of times when people wonder, how, well, wonder, I've certainly wondered this myself, like, well, how do I 
get that confidence? How does that work? Um, and I love what you said because it's so tangible. Take pleasure in what you're doing. Be curious about what you're doing. You know, offer that up as your um, your goal when you walk into the room. Walk in with curiosity, and that's your only goal. And and then you can start to build that confidence. It's a little bit like fake it till you make it, but it sounds like a good stepping place to go to. And I think, you know, auditioning is really something that the more you do, I do think people get better at it and it becomes a practice like anything else, like, you know, jogging or baking or, you know, you just have to do it a lot. And that's another great reason to go to the EPAs. I mean, look, if nothing else, they're very short. It can't, how much, how, how painful can it be? You're usually in and out in like four minutes. Um, uh, and I think, it, you know, I remember years ago, this actor Wyatt Fenner came in to an EPA. Um, I used to work with a partner, my partner, Joy Dixon, that Joy and I were doing for, I don't even remember why. Um, but he came in and we were, people were doing Shakespeare monologues. And he said, you know, I'm going to do, and he just had like a great energy when he walked into the room he just seemed excited to be there and we said what are you going to do and he said I'm doing a monologue from Romeo and Juliet and if you don't mind I'd like to play Juliet and it was just so surprising and we said yeah no absolutely um and I think he was so excited to to do that and to do something a little out of the ordinary and of course it was very memorable and he was, did a great job um but i think there are those opportunities um and look they're not all going to be great but you know that's unfortunately part of learning and growing as an artist is you know failure is a part of it and you just have to be able to kind of pick yourself up and you know go to your next epa I love that story about the actor who who came in and did something a little different. And uh, when we interviewed Rob Zombie, who I know is also a mutual friend of, of yours and ours, he talked a lot about that, about the importance of an actor being unique and um, not necessarily surprising the casting director or the directors, but but coming in with their own take on things and not just trying to fit into a mold. Do you, I, I'd love to ask you because you, you do, you cast a lot of theater and you also have a lot of films that went to Sundance and, and that I think it's interesting because you have your roots um, in New York and in theater. And I think a lot of those films have a special quality to them. Those independent films that, that um, actors really love. And a lot of people I know right now are writing, and that's a vehicle for actors to show people what they can do, uh, especially when they don't have the credits um, on the resume yet, but they have the talent and the training and you know the, des the desire and the drive. And I, I'm just curious, uh, is, is that, was that something that you gravitated towards because of your love of theater? Because it does sound like that's a initial love of yours. Um, and, and is there anything you've noticed with the scripts that you've received? If there's like a common denominator, uh, that, that you see that kind of makes it into that category of the Sundance world. Um, you know, I think, it, uh, 
it's funny because I worked mostly on studio films when I started out because I was an assistant and then an associate. So I worked on sort of uh, bigger budget films for the most part. Um, and I think really it was just an accident of, you know, when I went out on my own with, with my former partner, Joy, um, we just, that was what we got, you know, got a shot at was sort of lower budgeted independent films. And I think for whatever reason, um, some of it is just, you know, the work you get and some of it is what I was, what I, or we both responded to, which was maybe a stronger writer's voice and a stronger, uh, and a personal point of view. Um, but it was never, <laughs> I wish I could say I had some uh, overarching strategy or life plan, but I, I really don't. I just tend to respond to a, a certain kind of material, I guess, um, or I'm drawn to a certain kind of filmmaker that tends to be maybe a little bit more quirky and a, a little bit more of a, a personal point of view. Would you say that that, it sort of describes the types of films that go to and win festivals, ones that have a more personal point of view and are more quirky. I mean, somewhat, I, but you know, it's very hard. I mean, since I've been working in independent film, the, the festival scene has really exploded and gotten so huge and so competitive. I mean, I don't know how anybody gets into Sundance anymore. It's really a miracle. Um, <laughs> and it's it's continuing to evolve now because of yeah the, the current situation um and i think there are a lot more outlets for film aside from festivals so um i just think that there are because of crowdfunding because of streaming um you know you don't have to go to a festival um you know depending on who the audience is for your film there are other ways to reach that audience. Um, and getting into a film festival doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, traditional theatrical success in the way it did maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Mm. I'd love to jump back to the theater conversation for a second, if we could, because sure. um, I, I had a question, which is, I know so many actors in LA who have done a lot of 99 seat type, you know, jobs, small, small theater jobs, um, who really are eager to make that jump to the, you know, bigger paying theaters, the taper, the Geffen, um, or good regional theater, which I know you've, you've worked in, um, a lot. And I, I'd love to just know if you have any, advice to those actors like how do you sort of make that how do you make that jump i think it's really hard um honestly i do think epas are helpful um and you know i think you have to be unafraid to understudy because i think understudying is a great way to get into those larger houses um and I would definitely put myself on offer for readings, to read the stage directions at a reading, um, all those things. Um, and any kind of new play festivals that any of those theaters do. Um, 
getting on those mailing lists, making, you know, making those places aware that you're interested in that kind of work. Um, I think you just have to sort of work it from whatever, <laughs> whatever angle you can. What if you have gotten into that, you're doing the readings, you're doing all the, you know, doing the stage directions, you're, you're in that, you're, you've gotten one foot in and you're getting kind of more of the bit roles in the play, you know, not totally ensemble, but a little bit more ensemble. Um, and you want to step up to that next place. Do what is something that an actor can do? And is, is that something that, you know, in, especially in theater, do, do casting directors start to see you in one way and kind of that's sort of their go-to actor for that kind of role? Or is that something you can jump to that next kind of supporting role in a, or a lead in, in a play? I mean, I think it's hard to say. I think, you know, people have a skill set and I think the kind of opportunities that come your way depend on your, on your skill set for whatever that is. You know, I'm sure there probably is a tendency to, if somebody's really solid all the time in ensemble roles, they probably are going to get a lot of more ensemble opportunities, but then there's always a workaround, you know, you can, you know, use the fact that you've done, you know, maybe smaller roles at a bigger theater to get larger roles at a smaller theater. So, you know, you have to know how to sort of optimize those opportunities. Um, and you just have to believe that you could be seen in a supporting role in a play and get a bigger role in film and television. Because I know for me, especially, I, I really, one of the reasons I like doing television and film and theater is because I like to cross-pollinate between all those worlds. Um, uh, and I definitely, for Room 104, the HBO show that I did, I pulled a lot of people from people I'd seen in plays in 99-seat theaters in LA. That's great. I love hearing that. And I think actors will love hearing that too, because, you know, LA has such a reputation of people who don't know of it not being a theater town. But, you know, people who live here know that that's not, that that's not really true. Yeah. Um, Sadly, we're almost out of time, but I selfishly have to move to a completely unrelated question, which is um, partially on behalf of, well, so I know two people who are very passionate about something that we heard you are also passionate about. My husband, Pete Goldfinger, and my dear friend, Tom Papa, um, are, are huge fans of bread making. And we learned, we heard that you are too. <laughs> Um, and I, I assume during this pandemic that we're all, you know, stuck in the middle of, you're making a lot of bread these days. To be honest, I'm not making more bread than I usually do because I'm trying, but I am very on like a schedule. I went and got flour this weekend. I've also gotten into jam making. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm doing those. I'm doing those things. Um, yeah. What's your favorite kind of bread to make? A uh, whole wheat sourdough. Ooh! I have my own starter. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all I'm all in on the on the on the bread. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So cool. 
Dan told us that you love to make bread. And I was like, Jen, I feel like now we know so many people <laughs> that, that make bread, I know. which is incredible. I know. It's one of those things that once you sort of dip a toe into, or at least this is my personality, it's like you kind of want to figure it out. Um, and then it really becomes, a, a, you know, kind of a, addictive. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, before we get to the LAism, I would love to just reiterate a couple of things you said that that really um, spoke to me today, which are just a few highlights for me was um, keep track of everyone that you audition for. I love that. Um, be prepared for all the driving in LA if you're you know from somewhere else. That's that's no joke. Um, go to the theater as much as you can. I love that. Um, embracing the importance of confidence and sort of how to get that and, and learning to take pleasure in, you know, what you're doing and that that I think brings great confidence. Um, and also the importance of EPA for actors, as you talked about, I think those are all just such great tangible uh, tips. Um, so thank you so much for all that. We always love to end our podcast, um, not to put you on the spot, but with something that we call an LAism, which is something that you have found to be unique about this city that we live in. You know, getting back to where we started, where I said, you know, the one word I would use for LA is evolving. I think LA is a really fluid place. And I have noticed that, especially being from New York, there's just a lot more movement here. People change what, you know, they move around a lot, different parts of the city. They, their interests change, the way they look changes, what they're into changes. Um, I've really noticed that it's just a much more fluid place than New York is. Um, or than the East Coast is in general, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the longer I'm here, I just I just notice so much change. Um, and among and in the actors I see too, I see people really, you know, changing their skill set, changing what they're interested in, acquiring new skills, getting into different kinds of work. Because um, I think people, a lot of people, really come here to kind of commit themselves and discover themselves in their work. I love that too. I love that. We hear that a lot. Yeah, that you come to LA and that things happen that you don't even know are going to happen. It's evolving. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's a perfect LAism. I love it. Thank you. Okay, Nicole, thank, thank you, you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. This has was- really been great. Yeah, so great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed the conversation. Same here. Well, have a wonderful day and enjoy making your bread. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We want to be able to bring you more episodes like this one, but we can only do that with your support. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to Speak LA, the podcast. And for more information on Speak LA, go to ispeakla.com. This episode of Speak LA the Podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their eblast today.
Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille Thornton-Alson, and we are the founders of Speak LA. You can find us at iSpeakLA.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.